Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 90 with my friend Kirsten. I'm so glad you guys are here to listen to this. Uh, you know, Kirsten's just another friend of mine that I am reconnecting with after over 20 years. It's so crazy. And, then, and you just don't know these people, right? And she was so kind, and I love everything she had to say, and I think you guys will too. So without further ado... Here's my friend, Kirsten. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? I love that you started this podcast. Like, obviously, you know, social media is social media, and it's what we choose to put out there. But I think that... um, what I have seen you put out into the world, you've just been so true to yourself over the years and like really stuck with like, these are the things that I'm passionate about. And I love doing these things. And (laughs) you've always been like comfortable with going for the things that you like. And you know, where so many other of us, like, I'd be like, I can never do a podcast. Who would listen to me? No one would listen to me. Like, Oh, I got used to that. I've, I've had nobody (laughs) listening to me for years. Uh, that's, that's never been an obstacle. Um, well, thank you. That's really nice. Um, that's one of the things I work on now is like, I try to sit with compliments and, and stuff instead of being like, oh, thank you. Okay, what's next? Someone else tell me something. Right. Don't talk about me. Don't talk yeah, about me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or talk about me a lot. Because <laughs> that's, I mean, that's that's what it was. It got so, uh, it got so bad where I just, I couldn't accept the compliment um, like and really appreciate it and take and have gratitude for it. It was just like, okay, thanks now I need something else. Like I constantly need validation and uh, I've been working on trying to like provide that for myself. And when I get compliments, like the one you just gave me, I try to like hold on to that and and sit with it. And, uh, (laughs) and I appreciate that. That means a lot. Um, And I, it's funny, God, you just, you're hitting a lot of nerves in that, just in that little one thing. (laughs) Well, it's funny to think about like Like, the things. Who's interviewing who today? Well, yeah. You just mentioned the social media and the persona we put out there. And it's so funny because I look back at my own and I, I mean, I think it's accurate, (laughs) but, but when I think about, um, you know, like fucking drunken messages via. Oh God. (laughs) Some some of those cringe, some of those cringe posts that pop up in the memories. But anyway, thanks. That's the long way for me to say thank you. Hi. Hi. (laughs) Um, I'm so glad you're here and doing this and you agreed to it. And yeah, I'm so glad you reached out at first. I was like, Oh, like, what do you even talk about? But then, you know, when you said you're like, just trust me, I was like, okay, he's, he knows what he's doing. Like he's here to have a conversation. This is, yeah, I can do, you know, the rest will happen on its own. I don't have to worry about it. This is my 90th interview. 90. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. That Um, is insane. Anyway. (laughs) So (laughs) I, I normally start out with how I know people. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was trying to think about this, and I, I'm wondering, and now when you say, I don't even know the last time we saw each other, which I don't either, um, I'm wondering if you have a better answer than I do. But in in my 15th and 16th year, it was super cool to just go loiter at the movie theater. And Yes, it was. It, but when I look back, the funny thing about that is, like, one of the most unique high school experiences is it was people from, like, four different high schools Yes, it was. That would just like get together with a commonality of, uh, I don't know, fucking plastic bracelets. We had nothing better to do. Um, Yeah, yeah, we had 
we had we were bored we had nothing better to do but yes that is that is how our paths initially crossed God, it was really just like random for us too. It was, you yeah. know, just like a, oh, what do you want to do tonight? Like oh, I'm bored. Let's just go hang out at the movies. Um, and Rarely then saw a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I ever once saw a movie when we went up there. So and funny. then, you know, we saw there was other people up there doing the same thing and just, you know, through kids talking to each other and yeah. having fun all of a sudden it was like this group of kids from Waterford and Clarkston and White Lake all Became friends, yeah. you know? So funny. Yeah, those were very strange but enjoyable times in my life. <laughs> yes. And I look back on how much they put up with. You know, we were so obnoxious. Oh, yeah. We were so running between Ram's Horn well, and that's the bowling was, alley right? and the movie theater and, you know, uh, uh, but the, way the I reality, re- I mean, yeah, uh, teenagers need places to loiter they need places that will let them do yes. that yes my therapist uh, i mentioned that and she's like yeah teenagers are really good at loitering <laughs> they're just like expert loiterers i was like yeah that's that sounds about right um but i it's funny because i think that's the cycle it would go in right we'd go we'd go to the theater we'd get kicked out of the theater and we'd go to the bowling alley and then we'd get kicked out of the bowling alley go to Ramshorn. And then like Ram's horn, then we go back to the theater, <laughs> just like cycle. Yeah, just keep doing the circle. Yeah. Um, wow. Funny days. Uh, so what I'm thinking about, though, is in all of that, and part of this is like my memory and part of this is, I don't know, time. Um, I don't know a bunch about you, like in the grand scheme of Kirsten. <laughs> so right. I'm wondering, uh, like going back in time, first of all, do you have any siblings? I do. I am the youngest of three. I have an older brother and an older sister and they are six and seven years older than me. So it was a little bit of a surprise. It wasn't supposed to happen. (laughs) Um, So yeah, at the time frame when I met you and everybody else, um, they were not at all interested in being a part of my life. You know, I imagine they were gone, right? Yeah, they were starting to move out. They were doing, yeah. you know, that that type of stuff. They were stepping into that kind of next phase of their life. And um, I was just starting to be allowed to be friends with them, <laughs> you funny. know, versus yeah. just siblings. That's so funny. <laughs> what uh, what do your mom and dad do when you're growing up? Did you, well, did you grow up your whole life in White Lake? Were yeah, you... so um, so my whole, basically my whole life in White Lake, I, I spent a couple of years, um, living uh still in white lake but in a different house um i barely even remember that and around age three or four my parents moved into that house that we lived in i don't know if you remember um i think i went to one party like, at your house yeah you or know were you I, I out think I had a either on a lake or by there. a lake or yes yeah. we lived on cedar island lake yeah. so um <laughs> lived there my whole life uh it was interesting growing up i you know there was um five of us in about a thousand square feet maybe just under with two bedrooms and one bathroom and that uh, is a lot <laughs> yeah so the benefit of being seven and six years younger than your siblings is you don't have to go through all of your adolescence sharing a room with two other people yeah. so but yeah, I spent most of my life sharing a room, getting shoved out of the bathroom because, you know, like 
I'm walking in and somebody would grab me and pull me back. Yeah, yeah. I'm the youngest. I have to wait. All that stuff. So. So what what was that like for? I mean, obviously you don't know other people's experiences necessarily, but did you? Did all three of you have to share a room? Yeah. Yeah, my uh So your older brother sister, and sister like when they just start hitting puberty and going through all that fun stuff? Could you imagine? Oh my could God. you imagine having to share a room with your siblings when you're hitting puberty? Like oh, ugh. No. So <laughs> my dad had built um like a half wall between the beds that we had you know, it was like a bulletin board wall for us. So it was like, you know, you could decorate and like my sister had her side and I had my side. And then my brother was on the other, my sister and I were in bunk beds. You know, we were sharing a closet. We were, it was, it was, uh, not ideal. Right. Um, but I look back on that time now and I think like, okay, if I ever found myself in a space of where I had to be, you know, uh, uh, less financially fit than I am today, I could do it. Yeah, like for sure. Uh, I I can survive on a can of corn for dinner for a month, yeah. and you know that type of stuff. Yeah. Where where you know not everybody else has experienced that skill set in life, and uh, you know it's it's helpful in some things. Yeah, there's something nice about that. Um, I'll never forget this when I lived in LA, like, and I went through like terrible times, and somehow like paid rent. Um, <laughs> Like I would find a way to pay rent in these tiny apartments, um, but that we I rented out my room in one of my apartments, and I literally like built a bedroom in the closet because I was like I can't afford this room. So, um, one of the this girl I rented out the room to, she was like, "So you're like a minimalist, huh?" And I was like, "No, I'm just like broke as fuck." <laughs> like right, right. I mean, there's, interpret there's, it as I'd... you want, but I yeah, no, I'm just broke. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'd love to say that. Have you seen how many times I've eaten ramen in the last? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I don't think you understand how this works. I go to Seven Eleven a lot uh, because it's two for a dollar corn dogs. Um, <laughs> yeah, not not because it's good. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Um, so what what do your parents do then when you're growing up? Uh, my dad was um, always into to carpentry, so he okay. specialized in decks and staircases and things like that. Um, just really kind of like handyman all around, but very specific to that trim carpentry work, yeah. coming in and doing those fine finishing details. So you know, growing up, it was really normal to always have everything always smelled like sawdust. There was always power tools running. There was always, you know, all of this stuff. happening as he was, you know, building and doing. And, um, my mom had always kind of bounced around to professions. She, for a period of time, I'm going to really date myself here. She used to manage five, seven, nine. Remember that story? yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then when I started elementary school, the elementary school that I went to had an opening for, um, you know, uh, lunchroom assistant, recess help and that, and she snagged it and took it, um, and just kind of built her way up through the school district and eventually became a parapro, uh, and did that for her here on Valley school districts for a while. Um, summer after my senior year of high school, she moved to Texas. Uh, during my senior year, my parents split, she moved out, um, stayed with my dad, and uh, she's been in Texas basically since about 2001. Um, and then my dad passed away at the beginning of 2020. Oh, I'm sorry. So around, thank you, thank you. Like right around all of the craziness of the pandemic stuff starting 
And uh, so, you know, haven't seen much of my mom because of it in the last few years. And then, you know, obviously kind of glad that my dad hasn't been around for it because he'd be real fucking annoyed. Yeah. I'm I'm curious. (laughs) And this is uh, all personal curiosity from like a carpentry world. (laughs) because you said he did the like finishing carpentry did that i just think so i do i like i prefer rough stuff where i don't have to worry about those like final touch things um yeah did that play a role in like the cleanliness and organization of your house like was it or or not i was just thinking like was everything perfect because of that or was it my house was a disaster. Okay. Everything was, was a, you know, five people living in that much space. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to be. But the garage was very well organized. Okay. All the things were where they needed to be. Um, every tool for everything, every different type of sandpaper, every different, you yeah. know, uh, uh, and he could so quickly execute on a project it it was just mind-blowing um the the, when i really think about it carpentry he's an artist you know and that was that was his form of art and that was how he really showcased his skill set to the world was in those final finishing touches right like he would build all these very immaculate things and do a really awesome job and speed through that and then he would take a lot of time to make sure that it was smoothed out in the right ways and it had all of the right edges. And, you know, he would examine each piece of wood to see like which one stood out the most and needed to be like the center of attention. Right. So if it was like a really gorgeous knot, like this one needs to be right here and I need to place it this way. So people never miss it and they always see it. And like, that's uh, impressive. (laughs) Yeah. He just really, really thought through those details and, and, um, you may have heard this term before, uh, which he lived by. Is he was always like, measure twice, cut once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just uh, all the time, like everything he did. Measure it twice, cut it once. Don't go back and redo it. Get it right the first time. Well, it's funny because he sounds like he's the he was the kind of like carpenter that I would like to be, but don't have the patience to be. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I'm looking right now. I I built built-ins in my basement, and uh, I get I just get to a stage in every project where I'm like. I just want this to be done. Like what's the quickest right. route to being done? Yes. Um, in my mind in the beginning, it's like, this is going to be immaculate. Uh, and then it does not end up that way. Uh, it's good enough. Um, anyway, sorry. Right, tangent. Right. Um, no, you're good. So I, I'm curious with your siblings being so much older and I guess, I'm guessing when you really start to have like memories and stuff, they're like starting middle school. Like what, what is your role in your house growing up? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's weird when I look back on my childhood, um, obviously we all, all have these fond memories. Um, but it's also mixed in with this realization that my family did not function like other people's families, you know? So we kind of live in this space of where like our parents are perfect to us for so long. And then when we start to realize that they're not perfect and that there's these differences and, um, it was somewhere around the end of elementary school and the start of middle school that it kind of started to really resonate that um, my mom slept on the couch and everybody else's parents didn't do that. Uh, And I couldn't really like think of a time when like things were good with them. 
and so that plays a really weird yeah was it all factor and was it all surface stuff like that where you just like noticed that or like did they keep any arguing or things out of like so you guys didn't really experience that or i don't remember them arguing much when they did fight it was always like everything came out you know and in the heated battle you know the the months and months and months of build up and then all at once um so when i was very young uh they that was probably when they fought the most and during that time frame uh, my dad had lost his dad and uh he was drinking very heavily um and just not processing that grief as healthily as he could yeah. you know because I, I i'm a firm believer that there's no wrong way to grieve but there are definitely unhealthy ways to grieve yeah. Um, yeah, my dad died i drank a case of budweiser and smoked two packs of cools because that's what he ex- yes <laughs> like, exactly. probably not great but uh but you needed to do what you needed to do yeah. to get through it. Like I look back on the time frame of when my dad died and, and the world was blowing up uh, and I did not know what to do with my grief. And what felt so good was to yell at internet strangers because <laughs> I never actually had to see these people. I yeah, never yeah. had to go back and tell them that I'm sorry I took out something on you that had absolutely nothing to do with you, but I certainly got to feel better about it. And I was like, yeah, do it. Like, fuck them. Yeah. You feel better. And that's what you need right now. You know, looking back, like, well, it probably wasn't the healthiest way to do it, but what but is the right them. way? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, you said stupid shit on the internet and someone needed to tell you. That's right. <laughs> fuck yeah. Um, so your dad's not processing it maybe in the healthiest way. When, when yeah, he's not, he's not processing it in the healthiest way. He's, you know, he's drinking really heavily. Um, and that was, I think, where the turning point was for them. I think they were always never supposed to get married. You know, they're your classic, yeah. oops, we're pregnant, let's get married. Oops, we had another baby, uh, I guess. You know, um, we'll try to make it work, try to make it work. Because at the time frame of their lives, that's what you did. That yeah. was the societal norm. You didn't knock somebody up and not marry them um you know so uh the you know next phases where my dad really turned it around and shifted gears on his day-to-day and kind of refocused everything um my mom really started to disconnect at that point and it was like nothing he could do was good enough. It wasn't right. He couldn't get it right for her. Um, she couldn't see beyond the past, Yeah. you know, and, and looking at the future and, and, um, how old was I when my I was gonna sister say, you gotta be first moved like out junior high, high school and all this. Yeah. So like in junior high, when my sister went to college, my brother had moved out, my sister went to college. That was when everything really shifted. They stopped talking and then they literally spent the next eight years, six years, uh, you know, in that talk as little as possible environment. It was very, it was weird to What is that be like home. being the third person in that house? And Oh my God. I just was always gone. I left okay. as often as I could. I never came home if I, if I could avoid it. Uh, and I just never like, you know, people were like, what's your curfew? It's like, what? I just didn't even ask, yeah. you know? And, and they were at the point of where they didn't even care. Like, you know, obviously they were concerned for their children and whatnot, yeah. but they were just so far 
into the weeds of not being able to turn their marriage around that they couldn't focus on us anymore. So I was like doing whatever the fuck I wanted. Well, yeah, with the older kids gone. And I mean, did you feel like kind of ignored at that point? Um, I don't even think that I realized until later Yeah, that I was, you know, it was, um, just the circumstances of what I was living in. Like, I think when I look back on it now, there was a lot of survival mode tactics yeah. that were in place that I didn't recognize at the time. Um, so, you know, I just brushed off the fact that my parents weren't asking what I was doing and who yeah. I was going with or the whys behind it, or, you know, not, not concerned about why I left on Friday after school and didn't come home until Sunday night. Like, you know, uh, like I would never let my children do that. I would never let my kids do that. There's yeah. no fucking way, you know, <laughs> but, but they just, and I get to, it was a different times then also right yeah. you know we're talking early 2000s and late 90s that I was running amok doing whatever I wanted um and some of it stemmed from too like my dad just kind of always was a little different in his approach and parenting than some other parents like he was like listen it doesn't matter if I tell you to be home at 10 p.m or 1 a.m if you're gonna smoke a joint you will do it before you come home regardless of what your time frame is that i tell you to come home like if you want to do bad things you will do bad things yeah. and if you don't want to do bad things you won't do bad things so you know there's no point in saying like be home by this time be home by this do that do that whatever like yeah uh which, which to a certain level i i respect right like yeah. you're there's there's I've a level seen of so logic many people there. Yeah. <laughs> do the exact opposite of what their parents said because they're like don't do that you know yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go do those things. I'm going to be bad. You know, or he's, you're going to do it regardless of what I say. Yeah. So instead let's make it, you know, a space where you feel comfortable to call me if something happens with yeah. you, you know, where like it was the complete opposite with my mom. Like I remember my sister getting in, in trouble in high school, drinking at a party, cops came uh, and they called my mom and she refused. She was like, I'm not getting in the car with her. You need to call my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know, just the, the differences in how your parents will handle things sometimes. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think, you know, when I look back on that time, there was, there was a lot of survival tactics where I was just, you know, uh, uh, aloof to what was going on around me because if I was aloof to it, I didn't have to process it. I didn't have to think about it. I just, you know, I could keep living in my, woo, I'm having fun with my friends and doing whatever I want. Yeah. And, what you is know, that? I'm, I'm what does that passing look like? high school well enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What does that look like uh, being away from home that much? Like what, what's going on in your social life during those years? Um, so, you know, I kind of bounced around between a lot of friend groups. And I think right. that that was part of, you know, falls into the survival tactic because I didn't want too many people's parents to notice that I was always around. Right. So um, there's some parents that like, it was unavoidable. You know, I look, yeah. uh, my childhood best friend and I, he and I are still friends. I still talk to his parents. I go, you know, I, I was just at their house right before Christmas to visit and, yeah. you know, check in with them. Um, like they knew there was no skating around it with them. Um, but like, you know, there was groups that I would hang out with in the Clarkston side and I'd spend yeah. a couple days with them and then bounce back home. And then the next weekend I'd pick the Waterford crew and then I'd pick the White Lake crew and, you know, just kind of trying to bounce around. So it wasn't so obvious that I was You were doing that consciously home. too? Uh, consciously bouncing around, 
Um, but I don't know if at the time I realized that I was consciously bouncing around for those reasons. Like okay. I didn't have a vehicle, so I always felt bad needing rides and things like that. So yeah. I think that was part of the reason too, that I was like, Oh, I bounced around. Then I don't look like I'm so needy to all of my friends all the time. Cause it that. sucks to be I know that without the car. Girl, I lived yeah. that life for years. <laughs> oh my God. I was carless until I was 19. <sighs> it fucking sucked. Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. I've had friends like completely go off on me and just be like, you're, you just always need something. And I'm like, but I do like, actually, yeah, yes. I have no control yes, over I these do. needs. And I am trying so hard uh, not to need it. Can't yeah. you see how hard I'm trying? And then not you feel to so me? shitty. Uh, yes. It's the worst. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, know sorry. They, yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, that is just, a. uh, a shit place to be in as a kid you know yeah. when you're trying to establish a sense of who you are and then you're still trapped and having to ask everybody for all of this help you know yeah. and like I think about like the only reason I was able to get my first job outside of babysitting was because my sister drove me like she worked at uh, uh Lone Star that one that used to be on M59 and yeah. uh Pontiac Lake Road I think or Pontiac whatever one it is you know what I'm talking yeah, about yeah. and so I went uh and applied there with her and I was able to set myself up to be on her exact schedule so she could drive me to and from work. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. but like, that's, that's nuts that like, that's what I had to do. Like I would say, Hey, like, will you please give me a job where my sister works so I can have a job? <laughs> so what do you remember? Like finding out your parents were going to get divorced and what you felt about that? They had a pretty bad fight that ended with me saying I don't care which one it is one of you needs to go we cannot live like this anymore and my mom moved out the next day um we've had a very rocky difficult relationship ever since because she has held that over my head uh multiple times which is interesting that she finds it appropriate to hold that again like your 17 year old daughter was yeah essentially saying like i can't I, i'm dying inside i can't yeah. do this anymore i can't live like this and then in, in turn like you don't look at it and say like oh wow like my marriage problems are really messing with my children's lives yeah. you instead say my little bitch daughter told me to move out it's, uh, it's really yeah. remarkable and i don't want to make this like a blanket statement because i know not everybody has like toxic parents but it's it's remarkable uh how much our parents can like hold against us as like, even, even now, like, you know, we were kids, right? Like your kids, like, how do you, Oh, I still have a grudge against this 12 year old or this 17 year old who, and yeah. it's like, but you were an adult. And yes. Like, it's so, it's just so strange. And, uh, fucking rude man <laughs> like it's, yes it's, she is it is not it, she cool. is <laughs> straight up uh, a toxic human in my life who i have over the years you know it's been a slow cutout, but yeah. um just having that realization that family is not family but toxic is toxic and you don't have to subject yourself to that simply because you were in somebody's womb yeah. Like that doesn't make it's her a mother up. that doesn't. Yeah. You know, you might've birthed me, but past that, uh, I didn't meet your expectations. I think, I think my mom was, she was always looking for, um, the prom queen 
the cheerleader, the, you know, I was not that girl. (laughs) Well, which in a lot of cases too, that ends up being like what, like the, what the parents wanted to be when they were younger. Yes. Yes. Kind of live vicariously through your children. (laughs) Right. And my sister wasn't that girl either my sister was you know she was she was uh, a deadhead she was going to hookahville and all the festivals and you know yeah. um so neither of us fit the mold of what she was looking for in a daughter um you know but also like if that's what you're looking for in a daughter you would think that you'd be like oh let me get my daughter involved in all of this stuff that could pique her interest in doing those things yeah and I was never involved as a kid. I didn't do any of those types of things. And I'm sure that that more than anything had to do with finances. And, yeah, you know, my, my parents' combined income wasn't much. Uh, Especially with three kids. <laughs> five people <laughs> yeah, living yeah. in the house that we lived in. And, yeah, three, you know, three mouths to feed and all that stuff. Um, so, but, yeah, it was, you know, yeah. she's – She's a, she's an interesting one. I could spend hours going down that path and talking about the different things. Like it's a whole new podcast we're doing here. Yeah. Here you and I are, you know, with, with glasses, we can't help it. We need glasses. That's just something. Right. Do you know how many times, do you know how many times my mother has told me, well, I bought you contacts. I got you glasses. What did you want me to do? Be fucking blind. Like, what was I? Yeah. What was I supposed to do? I was a kid. You were. Yeah. I often get the yeah. I often get the well, you know, I wasn't smoking crack and whoring myself out. I'm like, is that the bar? Like, as long as you're not doing, what is that? What does that mean? Um, it's it's uh yeah, we could do. Oh. Let's do a toxic parent podcast. Um, it's it, oh, it's I, just sign me up. Let's do it. Compare yeah, compare toxic really stories. Being a parent now, I look back on how my parents parented. Yeah, And I just don't understand how my mom was the type of mother that she was. Like I could never imagine doing things to my kids that she did to us or, or not being there for them in the way that I felt like she wasn't there for me or my sister or my brother. Um, you know, even now, like you hit a point of your life where you can switch over to like your parent is your friend. Um, and I don't have that. Like I can't call my mom and ask for parenting advice because I guess I could, and then say like, okay, do the exact opposite of what she said. Right. But, um, you know, so I struggle with that parenting now that I don't feel like I was really set up for success to parent because of the way that I was raised. And it's a constant battle of like, don't do that. Don't go to those places. Like, don't be her. Don't, you know, uh, always checking myself. Like, did you, did you take it too far? Were you the right amount of stern? Were you, did you make it about you when it was supposed to be about them? And, um, I'm, I'm curious. (laughs) And this is like just me projecting now, (laughs) Um, when you were like dating, what did you date? Do you ever date people or maybe like, uh, now whatever this looks like, but who's, who were really close with their family. And was that weird to you? Like, like my wife, they had, they were like all whole family around the dinner table every night, like, um, great relationship with her parents. And I'm just like, sometimes I'm just like, I don't get this. Like, what are you doing? So I think it would have been really weird for me if I hadn't gone through that middle school experience of realizing that my family wasn't like 
traditional families, I guess is the best way to put it. Like, um, but the, the people that I grew up with in my neighborhood had absolutely wonderful parents. Um, you know, I talked about some of them earlier, but there was more than just them. There was a group of four of us that became very good friends in middle school that are on all four completely separate paths in life now, but we all still talk, uh, and touch base. And I, um, I, I honestly talk to their parents more than I talk to them at this point. Like their mothers get a mother's day card for me every year. They get Christmas cards. They get, you know, uh, they get random updates and texts (laughs) about how things are going in my life and my kid's life because they recognized the environment I was growing up in and took it upon themselves to show me what family could be like. Uh, That's nice. And I, yes, I love and respect and appreciate those people so much, so much um, to the point that it's made me want to be the parent that has the open door, right? Um, It's if my husband does not want us to be those parents at all. And I'm like, I'm sorry, (laughs) this is, this is who we're going to be. But like, sorry, we're uh, taking in the neighborhood kids. Yes. I don't want any neighborhood kid to feel like they can't come to our house and can't come to us or can't, you know, uh, uh, and, and if it means that my door is getting slammed on a regular basis and people are coming in and out of the house and I'm swatting flies left and right because of it. I will deal with those annoyances (laughs) because I know that my kid is safe. I know what they're up to. I know who they're involved with. Uh, and those are things that I did not have growing up that I think could have changed the trajectory of some of the decisions that I made had I had people more involved. Um, well, I'm curious, you know. circling back to the decisions you made. Um, <laughs> so you said you, you, you did okay in high school. Um, yeah. what, what was on the radar after high school? Did you go to college or? No. So I knew, I knew right away, like even in high school, like I didn't take my SATs. I didn't take my ACTs. I didn't, you know, it was, it was made very clear that if I was doing any of those things, I was on my own. Um, and I already didn't have a car and (laughs) was relying on my sister to get to and from work, which was, you know, a part-time host at Lone Star. I wasn't making shit. Right. Um, so, uh, my the summer after my senior year of high school my dad had my dad had been dating somebody both of my parents had been dating during the time frame that they were still married my dad had been dating somebody that it had gotten pretty serious and they had decided they wanted to move in together and then my mom moved to texas because the man she had been with since i was about 12 moved there a few years before that was basically the plan the whole time she was going to pretend like you know she wasn't she wasn't with him she wasn't with him she wasn't with him and then like oops I moved to Texas and we fell in love like no you guys been banging for years like let's just stop pretending you know you know we can all move through this a lot faster if we all stop lying like um yeah so I moved to Northville uh after that and um I didn't know anybody I didn't have a car and uh all of my friends were kind of moving on in their life. Like, you know, a lot of people are starting college uh, and, and I was like, not really sure what to do. So I took a walk one day and I found a coffee shop and I walked in and I said, are you hiring? And they said, yeah. And do you want to interview right now? And I said, yeah. (laughs) Great interview. They said, do you want to start right now? And I said, yeah. (laughs) And I called my dad and I was like, come pick me up in eight hours. I just got a job. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, so that 
kind of set a path for me to like be able to do something different in Northville. But, um, you know, and I got to meet new people and things like that, but it was, um, this constant state of being stuck. Like, you know, it was this bullshit job that didn't really do much and I didn't make enough money to save up to move out. Uh, you know, and then I left that job for the next bullshit job where I didn't make enough money to save up and move out. Uh, during that time frame, you know, I, I found myself, uh, getting an MIP to where sassy 19 year old Kirsten was like, Oh, fuck you guys. You don't know what you're talking about. Da, 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 da. And my nine month probation turned into two years of probation with much larger Bummer. fines than what I initially had. Um, so that honestly set me back for some time. I think I probably have the most expensive MIP in the history of MIPs. I paid about six grand in fines Wow. and six grand at that time frame in your life is very, very difficult to, come up with and pay so it was like I was living paycheck to paycheck just to pay court fines you know um and trying to figure out still no car still no you know like walking to and from work um and and try having to pick jobs that were in walking distance in addition to so then that limits where you can work and how much money you can make yeah uh you know so I think I just kind of accepted that stale circle for a bit and was like, eh, whatever, like, this is just what it is. Like, you're not going to college and you're not doing this. So you're supposed to be partying and drinking all the time. And, you know, woo, yeah. having, you know, just wooing it up. You're, you know, now you're in your twenties and it's woo time. Ah, um, the woo time. <laughs> yes. The woo time. It was great times, great times, but I don't know how we did it. Like, how did we do that? Oh my gosh. I look back and very like, self-destructively. <laughs> so self-destructively and like the just kind of like the disgusting level of it like you know I would drink till three four in the morning and be to work at 10 a.m and then you know this is this is terrible to say anyone anyone who works at a restaurant will understand anyone who's never worked at a restaurant is probably going to rethink eating out but uh (laughs) The amount of times I've thrown up between visiting you at your table to see how your food is, <laughs> like ungodly oh, amounts of times, you know, where you're, you're yeah, it's built into the over. industry, probably man. Still, probably still drunk in the morning. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, like. yeah. I think this is the last episode for Dry January, so I want to remind you guys about Wellbeing Brewing. They are a brewery out of St. Louis that has non-alcoholic beers out the wazoo, and they are delicious. My personal favorite, of course, their IPA, the Intentional IPA. Ooh, they also have Going Places IPA, both in 16-ounce cans, and they are both delicious. Am I switching my favorite? I might be. Uh, They also have CBD water, so if you are into that and like a little uh, relaxing CBD... You can get CBD waters from them as well. And when you get any of these, you save 10% by using code FRIENDREQUEST at checkout. So head over to wellbeingbrewing.com, raise well-being, turn, you know, surviving January into sur-thriving January. You like what I did there? Uh, And you guys, thank you so much for supporting our sponsors. It means a world to me. It means the world to me. It means a world. It means this world to me. So thank you. And I'll let you get back to the show. It is. We, we sometimes put, use the little kid cups and like put, put like a daiquiri in there or something. So. Oh yeah. You know, ooh, a little hair of the dog or like yeah. martinis, martinis. We'd always over pour into the shaker. So oops, we filled your glass and now there's extra in the shaker. And I guess we have to do shots. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. Love the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Good so are times, you just but... living with your dad during all this and, and yep, uh, I'm living and... with my dad, his, um, you know, at, uh, he remarried, um, living with them, living in Northville, uh, at the time frame that some of my friends were, were going to college. Two of my girlfriends had moved out to Ypsilanti and they were going to Eastern and had, um, a couple other friends that we knew, uh, that were also going to be going to Eastern. So they all moved in together. Um, one of those people that they moved in with ended up being my future husband. So, um, yeah. So Evan and I knew each other prior. He, he actually also grew up in White Lake, went to Lakeland, all that stuff. We never knew each other um, until my he was already graduated in my junior year of high school. I became friends with his sister oh, and funny. through hanging out with her, met him, which is how our friend groups had become friends. And they had decided they were all going to, you know, uh, be roommates at Eastern. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, you know, just kind of over the course of time, like hanging out with him more we've pretty much been together since about 2002 um so do you absolutely like... just love i imagine you being friends with his sister and the way you talk about some of your friends parents and stuff i imagine like you love being part of that family because I, just... I really do <laughs> i really do um so so kind of weird uh I already was friends with a lot of his family before yeah. even knowing. So he has some cousins who I played volleyball with before I even knew the sister. Oh, that's funny. And I didn't even know that that was their family until like becoming friends with the sister and her being like, oh yeah, those are my cousins. And I was like, what? Like, so like my first introduction to the family and going to that first family party was probably the best first family introduction out of the history of any I already know all already, you people yeah. yeah I already knew half the people That's I already funny. knew half the people and I was friends with them and so it really it was really really nice um and then they're just a very warm and welcoming group so like uh it's not awkward for you know my sister to come to those family events like Christmas yeah. Eve is a combination of the families and like um you know like she's she and her husband and kids are thought about when we're talking about doing those family events and like you know they're just they're good people yeah they're good people so how does that how does that work um do you end up going down to ipsy do you live in ipsy no i'm in novi i'm in novi or well at the time i'm in north or we're talking about the relationship yeah so i'm hanging out in ipsy all yeah i'm hanging out in ipsy all the time because my friends are there right we're in the 20s now we're in the college town thing now i can really woo real hard between (laughs) you know uh uh yeah you know so we just kind of started hanging out a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and you had mentioned earlier like dating um one of those defense mechanisms growing up I never really dated like I wouldn't it took a lot for Mm -hmm. me to call somebody my boyfriend um I would date and like we could hang out but if you were going to be my boyfriend there had to be a really nowadays the kids call it Netflix and chill yeah Um. you know it was yes (laughs) like there had to be a really strong connection I had to really trust you and I think a lot of that stemmed from I never wanted to go down the same path as my parents like oh yeah um I, I can look at their relationship and know what not to do. And I'm grateful for all of those things. Um, but I I think it also made it, so I was very reluctant. (laughs) Yes. I was very very reluctant to commit to things. 
um, you know, so he spent a good nine months asking me to be his girlfriend before I finally said yes. And, you know, we used to joke all the time. We were like, oh my God, we are the worst couple ever. Like this will for sure end in at least six months. (laughs) And here we are now. Still going. You know, still going. Marriage, kids, all of that. And when, uh, when do you guys, when do you guys get married? We got married October, 2010. So we were, we were engaged around the six year mark and then (laughs) intentionally wanted to take time to not have to rush through planning a wedding. Like neither of us were like, we all, we all know what direction this is going. We don't need to speed through it. Like we're good. We're good. We've been together for a while. We feel fine about all of it. So, um, yeah, I was engaged at six years, married at eight. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's just, you know, it's a good time frame. It's a good time frame. So when I had kind of landed on what I wanted to do with my future after Evan and I had like been dating for a few years and I had, you know, seen how he was able to apply things and that there was different ways that I could be doing it. I made the decision. I was like, I'm going to go to massage therapy school. Nice. It was about 2004. I went to the Ann Arbor Institute of Massage Therapy. It was incredible. It was the coolest thing I have ever learned. Um, Just understanding how the human body ties together, how all of the muscles work. I was going to say, was that difficult? The, the anatomy part of it? I dated a girl that went through that school and it was, she'd bring home paperwork and be like, this is insane. Like, are you trying to be a doctor? What, what is happening? (laughs) Yes. Yes. I I definitely did not realize there was going to be that much um, of the medical focus, but you know, it's, it was just, such cool things, such a cool thing. You know, it's just like your, your shoulder hurts. Well, it's got nothing to do with your shoulder. It's actually in your lower back. And, you know, um, so, you know, 2005 graduate, and we all know where the economy went from there. Uh, (laughs) as I continued to build up my client base and worked on, I didn't want to work for a place. I don't know why, like looking back, I I should have just worked at a place, but I wanted to be able to be traveling and like self-employed and, um, I was getting really close to the point of where I felt like I had made enough money that I could leave the restaurant and just focus on massage. Um, and then one of my clients got laid off and I lost a client and then I lost a client. Then I lost a client and thought, okay, this is not, what's well, gotta be the anymore. first thing to like cut out of your budget. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can only, there's only so much that you can keep doing here. Like, yeah. you know, you've got guaranteed money here. You can keep trying to build this business. And I went for the guaranteed money. So um, you know, right after we got married, it was like, okay, I can't keep working in restaurants and waiting tables. At that point I had, you know, was managing and doing all this stuff. And I it was no longer in the bar atmosphere of where I had yeah. to deal with drunk people and being there until, you know, 3am, but still like, it just, you hit a point of where you're either meant for it or you're not right. Most of us aren't meant for it. Um, you know, you can lot. only care so much. <laughs> yes. You can only care so, so much about people's complaints about their food before you're like, I can't do this anymore. Like, yeah. and, and rightfully so they paid for their meal and they should get what they paid for. But you know, when you're left and right, you're just like, yep, yeah. don't care. Don't care. Don't care. But anyway, yeah. I, um, customer service in any industry. <sighs> it's a lot, a lot of, lot of entitled people to- out there. <laughs> Everyone should be required to do a customer service role for at least six months of their life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just understand what they put people through, you know. But, um, so yeah, I ended up 
you know, he had applied at Quicken Loans years before. He'd been there for almost six years as a mortgage banker and he'd been kind of pushing me and I was like, no, 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 no. Uh, finally did. And thank God I did. That was the the change I needed in my life. Right. Um, I knew nothing about mortgages. I knew nothing about corporate. I knew nothing, like nothing. Uh, and it had just shifted everything so much for me. Um, I think there was a time in my life when I really thought like I couldn't do much because I didn't go to college. Yeah. Um, and I've since made a very decent career for myself and yeah. been able to, you know, take on really intense projects and, and work with large groups of people and lead those things. And, you know, so it's nice to know that the, the shit that might've chased us in our past or held us back or made us think that we weren't worthy or couldn't do certain things. Yeah was really just all in our head, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's taking that leap of faith within yourself to know that the cycle doesn't have to remain. It doesn't have to be like this. If you don't want to be this person, you don't have to be this person. Yeah. Um, you know, and switching that career fields really helped me see like, yeah, taking, you don't have to be this person. Taking leaps, uh, scariest thing, but can be like the most rewarding, <laughs> right, especially getting right. out of those industries. And I've talked about that a lot on here where, you, especially if you've been in restaurant or I was in, I was in restaurants for six years and then retail for eight. Um, but yeah. it, you, you don't realize all the other shit out there where, where like the minimum salary is typically as much or more than what you're making at those places right. anyway. Um, and the schedule's more regular <laughs> and all of a sudden like, oh, you can manage your life better when you're working like a normal schedule. Uh, and mm -hmm. there's all these things you don't even think about when you're in it, right? Like when you're, when yes. you're in the industry, when you're drinking till two, cause that's just like what you do. Uh, yep. like you all get off work together. You all have cash. Y'all just like, y'all go out. Oh my um, gosh. That's just, well, that's the pattern. Um, and, and then once you get out, it's horrible. And the amount of times you're like, oh, shit, I spent my phone bill tonight. That's okay. Yeah. I'll just make it back tomorrow. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Because it was all, you could always like, fuck it. Worst case scenario, I can pick up a shift, right? Like, no big deal. Um, it, yes. Mm -hmm. And it's just, uh, have a, it's almost dangerous to some personalities. And I was saying this, like, for myself, but, like, having that out, right? Where you can be like, I can make whatever irresponsible decisions I want. Because worst case scenario you know, I'll just work a little more or something. And surrounded um, by people who support those decisions and <laughs> oh, who are yeah. on board with it. Enablers and like, left yeah, and let's right. Let's do that. Yeah. Um, well, well, shifting the lens <laughs> a little, well, a lot, I suppose. Tell me about being a mom, like becoming a mom. Was that, yeah. given your, your past, like, was that scary at first? Were you against the idea or were you excited about it? No, no. Um, I think I, I always knew somewhere that I wanted to be a parent, but I just didn't know when, uh, what that was going to look like. Um, I definitely knew I didn't want kids till later. Yeah. It was very big on don't do what your parents did. Like there is nothing wrong Live with Live your life, 19. Kirsten. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being 19 and having a kid. Yeah. Let me say that first. There is nothing wrong with it. Uh, it was not the path that I wanted seeing the negative damage that it caused on them. So, um, you know, from the get go with Evan talking about those things, like I was like, Hey, like if you want a family and I want a family, like I'm not doing that until I'm in my thirties. So like, 
FYI, we're going to be old, yeah. you know, we're going to be old parents. So hopefully that you're cool with that. He was cool with that. You know, we, we both kind of were like, your twenties are supposed to be like really selfish and really like you were supposed to be just so into yourself that like, you don't even have time for kids yeah. and then you can, you know, there move you on to other things. So I support that theory. We, <laughs> We stuck true to that. We were like, we are going to party hard. We are going to put all this time into ourselves. And we are, you know, uh, um, but yeah, I, you know, becoming a parent, I thought it was going to be this turning point for the relationship with my mom, yeah. um, in that we were going to like rebuild. Um, and it has actually become the opposite. So, uh, you know, I, I was just, I think like everybody, like really excited to find out that we were having a baby, but also really scared. How do you do this? You know, you're not the first person to be a first time parent, but it's your first experience. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, you're like for literally millions of years, we've been parenting, we've been parenting, but there's no, like, this is how you parent. Yeah. Look, right? But we still continue no... to fuck it up. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. We still continue to fuck it up. Yeah. Uh, we find all new ways to fuck it up. So I think it was just really important to me to like make sure that I understood the differences between your quantity of time and your quality of time. Yeah. One of the biggest transitions of stepping into a parent was realizing just how toxic other parents are. There really should be this sisterhood of motherhood, right? Like we all share in this together. Um, and maybe there should be something similar for men, but you know, <laughs> I don't have penis, so I can't talk Whatever. about that. <laughs> I thought that was going to be there's... the big reveal. Never mind. Um, <laughs> no. You know, but, but there's, but it's it's lacking. That sisterhood of motherhood can can really be lacking. Um, if you're not aligned in similar parenting goals and things like that, you can find that somebody's very judgmental of you. Um, yeah. Well, people so parent was... a lot differently. Like, I mean, I've yes. been, I don't even have kids, and I've been a judgy bitch when it comes to how some people. I'm like, what are you doing? And the yeah. problem with it, which is like the problem with most fucking politics now, is you can find articles to support anything you want. So if you want to like yep. raise your kid this way, you can find a billion reasons why. You can also find a billion like articles that say never do this. Um, yeah. And I, I imagine that's been an obstacle. Uh, but I, I definitely agree there should be some sort of common ground. We're all raising human beings, right? Right. right. And. And, you know, I, um, so it just dawned on me, like during that time frame of being a new mom of how important it was to just listen and leave it at that. Like, that's what a new parent is looking for is for somebody to listen. Don't offer your advice. Don't push this, that, whatever, like they're, they need to process their own experiences in their own way. Um, and if someone doesn't parent the same way as you and can't still converse and yeah. be respectful of it. They're not meant to be in your circle. They're not meant to be in your support group. They're not, you know, so, so get them out. Um, you know, and so that's kind of changed who's in my life and who's not like, if you, um, no, I'll give you an example. I am, I am an advocate for, for breastfeeding. I think like, yeah. uh, that is best a hundred percent, but, you know, in my opinion, um, and just my opinion, you should always attempt breastfeeding first. And then if it works out and it's working well for you and it's working well for your child, go as long as you possibly can, even if that means you find yourself 
with a two, three-year-old who is breastfeeding. Uh, do you honestly think that humans survived millions of years without drinking breast milk yeah. for a long, 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 long time into their life? Like, um, you know, so, so like just an example where like, there are women out there who will completely frown upon that. And, oh, it's so, you know, that's so gross. Like, ew, ew, they know, they this, they that, they whatever. Like, it, it doesn't matter. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to. Yeah. But if this parent chooses to do that, why can't you just be supportive of them choosing yeah. to parent this way? And that's what should matter is how can I be there to be supportive of you, not do our yeah. parent, you know, do our parenting ways align? Like, It'd be pretty boring if we all did shit the same way. It sounds like uh, some of this is an advantage of waiting till your thirties to have kids, right? Yeah, to I have think, that I kind think, of perspective and and right where mind. you know, if I was young and in my twenties, I might have been desperate for those people to be my friends and help me. Where now I can look back and say, like, oh god, no, fuck those bitches, get them out of here. Like we don't, uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, we don't need you. We don't need you. Get out of um, here. Yeah, you know, and that's just one example of things that yeah, that yeah. can happen in the parenting sense. But um, you know, those three little nuggets are the the greatest thing that has ever happened. Uh, I have never felt such an extreme love for something. Um, I after I had my first, I thought I don't even know how people have more kids. Like, there's no way I could love something <laughs> as much as I love her. Okay, I thought it and, was. I don't know how people have more kids. This is a lot of work. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that too, it was definitely a lot of work, but it was like, you know, there's just no way, there's no way. And, and somehow there, you know, your heart just grows, um, you know, but, but yes, they're a lot of work. Like as much as I love them, they're assholes, man. Those kids are fucking assholes and they do everything they can all day long to drive me to the brink. And then I'm at the brink and they're like, Hey, let me fart in your face. And then I'm going to tell you, I love you. Like, you know, that's, it's, it's um, how you say goodnight. That's a Swedish tradition. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure that it is. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, uh, it's really funny. So, um, so what, how you know, far have, apart are your kids? Sorry. Uh, my oldest is eight and my middle, he's six. And then my youngest just turned two. Okay. So she kind of fell in the same boat as me where, oops, surprise. Four years. We're having another that. kid. <laughs> surprise we're having another one so um but quite honestly she's been it's just been so wonderful like uh we had her at the end of december in 2019 uh i don't think i would have survived grieving my dad had it not been having her there to help get through all of those things to bring those joyous moments in my darkest times like she was just this this ball of light um and i will never forget like a couple of months before my dad died, we had to go into the ER. Uh, he was going septic and, and his kidneys were, were failing on him and had to do emergency dialysis. And he ended up staying for a week before he could go home. Um, and she and I went and saw him every day. And she was the highlight of his day. Uh, you know, and the smiles that he would bring her. And, you know, she'll never remember that. She will never remember that. But I can't wait to tell her about later in life about how she brought him more comfort than anybody in his last couple of months, you know, that she was the thing that kept him going in that time frame, And was uh, that he was most excited about. Yeah. It was kind of a long process. So, um, 
in 2016, he had a stroke and uh, it was so strange, Justin. So he, it was like 8 a.m. and he called me and he is like, and I was like, what? So scary. He's like, and I was like, are you fucking drunk right now? And he said, help. And I went, oh my God, you're having a stroke. He said, I'm going to call 911 and I'm going to call you back. And then you're going to stay on the phone with me. And, you know, and I went and met him up at the hospital. My poor sister is in labor with her second child during all of oh this. Oh my God. Um, just, you know, it was just nuts. Uh, so um, he bounced back pretty well from that stroke. You know, there was a little bit here and there, but he was able to get back to work and he, you know, he could talk and stuff. It was like the just kind of like a one click delay to respond sometimes. Like he had to process what you said before, you know. Um, where otherwise, like he was a talker, like he yeah. is that guy that uh, 30 minutes before he tells you the joke he wants to tell you, he is setting up some type of nugget here so you'll laugh later, right? Like yeah, that's yeah. just how he operated. Um, so, you know, he bounce, bounces back well enough from the stroke, is doing good, uh, and then had uh, congestive heart failure and wound up um uh in the icu for two weeks we were you know incubated and sedated and all of that and just really trying to to get him to bounce back um couldn't go back to work after that had hit the point of you know full-on disability now and um so that was really tough for him because he's a carpenter he's busy all day he's working with things he doesn't like to sit still there's always some project going on um so, and then the second stroke came and we really lost a lot of him at that point. Um, the communication got really poor. He could talk to us and, and tell us things, but it was all over the place. Um, the focus wasn't the way that it used to be. Uh, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't keep weight on. He, you know, um, his kidneys kept getting worse. He ended up with bladder cancer. You know, the, uh, we had gotten his heart from like functioning around his heart was functioning around 20%. And the time he went in with uh, congestive heart failure, we got him up to 60%. Right. So like we did a ton of work with him, but, um, you know, like most men born in the fifties, he partied real hard in his young years and into his later years, he was a heavy smoker, you know, um, there was just no reversing some of the damage that had been done. So um, around February, we started chemo for the bladder cancer. And shortly after that, uh, no one was allowed in anymore to any of these places and the doctor's appointments. And he struggled to communicate. So like my sister and I were there for all of that stuff. We went to every appointment, every, like, you know, we, we really tag teamed caring for him, um, you know, between the grocery shopping and this and that, like he, you know, we did it all with him. So that got really hard because he couldn't explain to his doctors what was going on. And we couldn't get the information out of him that we needed to make sure that we were, you know, aligned with the care plan. Um, so, uh, I unfortunately found my dad oh my God. in a way that nobody ever wants to find anyone, let alone somebody they love. Um, and he had been alone for a long time. 
Oh my God. You know, for sure, at least, at least 12 hours or longer of, uh, on his living room floor. So he immediately called 911 and just, you know, hoped he would make it to the hospital. I wasn't even sure if he was going to make it to the hospital. Um, and so that's so hard. Luckily, my sister, my brother's been in Georgia for I don't know, the last 15 years or so, and he's yeah. kind of distanced himself from the family. So he wasn't here for any of this. But my sister and I were luckily able to be there. We, um, you know, when he when he went in with, you know, the ambulance, they had told us they were like, we don't know if he's going to be able to have visitors. And we said that we need to arrange for him to come home and he needs to be in hospice. Like you need to figure out how to get him home then. We cannot let him die in this hospital alone. Yeah. Uh, so they ended up moving us to comfort care, which was the psych ward to live out his final hours, um, which sucked, but they found a way to allow us to be there. There was nobody on that floor. They had moved everyone off of the floor because they were trying to prep it for if they got an overload of COVID patients and they needed a place to go. Um, So while I was surrounded by nothing but white walls and had a fucking metal mirror on the wall, um, we got to be there. Yeah. You know. That's tough, man. And that's like you hear about these experiences during COVID and the fact that like you guys were there that entire time and it led up to this like shitty ending, right? There's no better Mm -hmm. word for that. Yeah. But thank you for sharing that though. That's. Listen, I'll turn it around and I'll tell you the, the movie side of all of this because I fucking know my dad loves the shit out of this so much. So (laughs) So my sister and I spent, you know, a good hour and a half or so in the room with him after he passed and just kind of processing everything and not ready to leave. And when we did finally decide to go, this is April 2020, and Americans are ready to be out there and support, right? They're so proud of their heroes working at every hospital. Yeah. So proud, Justin, that they're outside of every hospital cheering people on with banners and telling them how wonderful they are and air horns and all of this stuff. So we're bawling our eyes out. We're holding each other. We're walking out of the hospital and about 30 do-gooders are outside screaming at us, thanking us for the job we did. It's obvious we're not at work because neither of us are in scrubs and we're holding each other crying. They're blaring air horns, like keep blessing. And they're like getting mad that we're not waving back at them. And they like keep getting louder. And they have a boom box, like a literal boom box blaring eye of the tiger. What? And we're like, I totally, those people thought they were being so good, right? They they wanted to celebrate hospital workers in a time of fucking insanity. What they weren't following through of thinking about is not everybody's leaving the hospital because they're done with their shift. Oh, my God. And so we're like, just, we couldn't stop laughing. You guys, look at these two nurses. Let's get it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. Blaring eye of the tiger at us. So, uh, yeah, that is like straight out of a well written sitcom. (laughs) Straight, straight, right? 
you know, so it's kind of become the thing now, like on the bad day, like I have the tiger comes on the radio, <laughs> you know, the things that, that we laugh about the, um, you know, and now I've got to go get it. So I can tell you this, I'm like, if I'm going to talk about this, I got to tell you the story in full, but during a, a late night scroll, while I was trying to sleep or not think about, uh, you know, grieving, I stumbled upon this tiger's eye necklace online. Yes. And I thought, oh my gosh, I should, I should get that for my sister as a joke, you know, and it would be a fun little thing. Like she and I will both have our matching tiger's eye necklace. Anyway, so I, I buy the necklace and I just, I don't even think anything about it. And it comes in the mail and it's attached to this little card that says tiger's eye, confidence, resilience, perspective. Tiger's eye increases confidence and supports resilience in stressful situations. It gives strength, luck, and positive energy in times of change and helps to retain perspective. And this showed up in the mail and I thought, motherfucker had a message the whole time. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew like that song, all of it, you know, whether or not you're one to believe in yeah, yeah. afterlife, things like that. I, I am definitely one who finds comfort in those things. And I like to think about that stuff. That's amazing. And I like, <laughs> that was his plan the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> the whole time. Well, it sounds like he had a good sense of humor. <laughs> The funniest, the yeah. funniest, an excellent sense of humor. Uh, uh, he is, you know, where all of us got our sense of humor from, I think. To toot my own horn, but mm. we're all pretty funny in my family. Freaking so. hilarious. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Uh, well, that's that's amazing. I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, obviously, yeah. no one, under no obligation to share that story, so thank right. you. Right, right. Um, I, I, I think that brings us current, but I mean, like other than, uh, you know, work and, and everything else, how's, how's the pandemic been? <laughs> it's been interesting, you know, just having school age children during this time, yeah. um, has been a lot. And then, um, my son has cerebral palsy. So we wow. are, uh, in this weird <laughs> pattern of like, when we can get into therapy and when we can't and like um you know he's he's mild and we are very lucky in that sense and he you know he walks he talks he feeds himself he does you know everything most people would not know unless they spent a lot of time with him and were able to see some of the you know physical differences um but uh how does that show up in you know in infants yeah, great question. So um, I, I honestly, I don't know a lot about cerebral palsy. So most people don't. I didn't either. So um, it is actually the most common disability. The ways it shows up is just so different for everyone because it really depends on where the brain damage is and then how much brain damage there is. So um, there's a variety of reasons of how it could happen. Some of them can be caused by a stroke that happened in utero. Sometimes it can be after you were born sometimes it can be during delivery um and if there's not like a a specific traumatic event that you know how it happened you'll likely never know how or why it happened um so that's andrew we don't know how or why it happened uh so it took us over two years to get a diagnosis um and we spent a lot of time not knowing you know when i look back now i see a lot of signs of like yes this was 
telling us and telling us and telling us. But from a milestone perspective, he was hitting all of his milestones at the tail end. So it was like, you know, as long as you walk by 18 months, you're within a normal time frame. Yeah. And he walked at 18 months, yeah. uh, you know, that type of stuff. So it took a minute to find it um, and to know for sure that that's what was going on. But you know, once we did, we went in and he had an MRI and we were able to see, um, you know, on the right side of his brain, there was a spot that um, was dead and it was likely caused by a stroke that happened in utero, but we wouldn't yeah. ever know. Um, and it's given him what's called um, hemiplegia. So he has left-sided hemiplegia. Uh, so that right side of his brain affects the left yeah. arm and leg. Um, it's also on behavior so uh spotted impulse control is dead so that's fun and um you know we just go hard with therapies with him we get him into speech ot and pt as often as we can we try to be the best advocates as possible for him try to be really honest with him about what he has and why um and which which kid is this in the order He's the middle child. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The only boy. Um, it's interesting to experience this side of life. Um, and this pandemic has really shown me a lot about how, just how much people don't care about others. <laughs> um, and not necessarily, you know, because they're intending to be selfish, but just... Yeah humans are selfish right we're we can't help it sometimes um you know so like even there's, some of my there's own, good and bad selfish <laughs> yes there is there's is. but like even some of my own family members like can't see certain decisions that are being made on our part like my husband and i have been very you know cautious about what we're going to do and why and when oh, yeah. we're going to do those things and because you know the reality is we have a child who has half of his body paralyzed and we don't know what's going to happen if he is to get sick you know it's it's yeah it's like i mean yeah you're, uh, you're preaching the choir on that <laughs> yeah here's one of the things that's really stuck out to me justin is there's been all of this focus around just how much the suicide rate has gone up since the pandemic and how it's just this is a clear sign that this pandemic is is causing so much damage and and i agree this, you know, that's, there's no denying that the suicide rate has gone up because of this. Yeah. But I also want people to take a step back and realize that these are all non-disabled people who were able to completely live their life as normal up until this pandemic that are, their suicide rate is raising. Now be one of those disabled people who has spent their whole life living in this solitude and having to live like that. And you can't fucking hack it for two years, yeah. but you want these other people to just like suck it up and deal with it because they always have been but like you need to get out because it's too much for you well what about them yeah like what about, what about them yeah um yeah i mean i could go off on a lot of tangents here i like i haven't i haven't hugged my mom in two years because uh, i have sarcoidosis which is an autoimmune disease and it's in my lungs and like i've been extremely cautious uh Yes. And then I have like my mom, my brother, uh, which I mean, my brother lives in Texas and we don't like hang out. So, but like, they're all like not getting vaccinated and, and won't like, nope, like I'll take some fucking echinacea if I need it. I was like, no, like just like what? Um, 
yeah. yeah it's uh and, and shit like that just drives me nuts <laughs> on that happy note um but no i mean i am i i'm curious i wrote this down and i forgot to go back to it i wanted to circle back but i'm You're curious good. thinking about how you grew up three of you sharing a room tiny house didn't have a bunch now you have three kids you're married um did it have any effect on you in the way that like are you either a minimalist now or do you splurge on things that you're like fuck it i want it (laughs) um kind of a combination of the two so so it's interesting that you bring that up my sister and i were just talking about this yesterday about how um what some people might view as hoarding yeah can actually be a survival tactic um where you know i have more of things than i actually need uh but that's out of fear of when i lose said thing how long will it be until i can get the next said thing so you know um i have 12 of the same hoodie that i have gotten over the years uh, somebody knew it was my favorite hoodie and I got one every year for Christmas for a long time. My yeah. mother-in-law, bless her. She's so sweet. <laughs> I don't need all 12 of them. I won't get rid of them because what happens when the 12th one is gone and what if I don't have money for another hoodie? And when, and that stems from how I grew up and that, yeah. you know, there might not have been money for things and there might not have been. So it can be really hard to throw things away. And, um, but on the flip side, what you said of like, fuck it, I'm buying it. <laughs> I will often do that too. I can be very toxic to myself in that sense. Um, You know, like my parents never would have splurged on that. Fuck it. I'm buying it. Uh, You know, every time I went to the grocery store with them and was told, you know, you can't have no, 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 no. If my kids want to try something like, hell yeah, we're going to try it. Like, you know, cause just that, that disappointment, like, those first moments as a kid of where like you realized where you are in the classism, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like this, the scholastic book fair comes and you're the only kid who can't buy a book and like that type of stuff. Like I, I don't want my kids to feel those things. So I think I kind of go ex- extreme sometimes in that sense, Yeah, you know, I'm just fucking them up in different ways. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny cause you know, we started this with, you talking about how there's different ways to grieve and you know there's no wrong way to do it but there's healthy and unhealthy ways of doing it and i think that uh reflection on some of the and i mean i i say this from a person that has a lot of protection methods that i like put into place as a as a kid and as a teen that i'm like starting to realize now and trying to like retrain myself around which is incredibly difficult <laughs> and, and yeah yeah, it's, I mean, I think the biggest step is that self-awareness, right? Of like seeing it and being like, oh, well, that's where this comes from. I'm going to do right. it anyway. Fuck it. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, At least I'm acknowledging that yes, I'm doing it anyway. See? Now, right? Exactly. That's a big step. Yeah. That's, that's, that's my brain. That's, that's my attic brain. I will rationalize anything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, I, I just, I relate to, I relate to a lot of things you said. So I'm sorry if I stomped on anything and being like, but no, me, not at all. talk about me. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I, I'm good. I'm out of questions. <laughs> did you, did I not talk about anything you wanted to bring up or? I don't think so. Gosh. I mean, I don't even, I didn't really, I tried to not like go into this of like, what did I want to talk about? You know? Yeah. Um, well, I could talk to you like for another three hours, but 
I got to edit this oh down. Oh my gosh, I could, yes. Somehow, so. <laughs> yes, I could, I could continue to go on too. Well, Kirsten, this has been absolutely lovely. I am so excited that, yeah. that we did this and it was so good Me seeing too. you. Me too. Thank you for reaching out. I appreciate that. Of course. Thanks for that, so. having an awesome life. <laughs> hey, thanks for asking about it. And, and thanks for putting yourself out there and doing this. It's fun to listen and to hear the people that you talk to. And... Thank you. Oh, I will talk to you right, again to you. soon. Bye. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Kirsten. I loved this. I could have stayed on the on the Zoom with her forever. And we had so many stupid connection issues because literally Comcast cut out my internet uh, right as we started. And I got like a notification like, your service is unavailable for two hours. I was like, what the, f- what the happened? Uh, but uh, she was very patient and, and we got back up and... Uh, I I just absolutely loved this interview. And I think re-listening to it, 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 there's parts that, you know, they read uh, almost as a love letter to her dad, which I found really touching. And I feel so fortunate that she shared that story with me about him and and his last, uh, you know, days and and the times uh, growing up with him as a carpenter. And I just, I really enjoyed that. And I can't thank you enough, Kirsten, if you're listening to this. And as far as everybody else listening to this, I want to thank my Patreon supporters, new supporter, Mandy. Hello, Mandy. Thank you so much. Um, Becca, Katie, Michelle, Andy. I love you guys so much. Um, Please keep it going. Check out patreon.com slash friendrequestpod if you want to support the show and occasionally get access to some bonus material. Uh, our theme song is written by Talia Dalton, who has new music out as of January 21st. So definitely go anywhere you stream or buy music, you can check out Talia's new song. It's a little sexy, so get ready for that. But uh, other than that, I hope you guys enjoy your week, and I will talk to you next time. I love you so much. Thank you for listening. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs>